0: Triple B's in the building, Big Baller brand, supports the NBA buzz and the inside buzz. We with you, man, Triple B style. Episode 27 includes Jay Hernandez, a former Hofstra University standout, former professional basketball player, and currently an assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets, and now a head coach for the Greensboro Swarm, the Hornets G-League team, who's currently in the NBA G-League bubble in Disney in Florida. I'm Mikey Domegala, host of Inside Buzz, and from one Long Islander to another, Myself and Jay will talk about his basketball career, his extremely impressive journey of being a player, to playing professional basketball, to creating his own company, and eventually making it to the NBA as a coach. Of course, we'll talk about his Charlotte Hornets, his relationship with the players, front runner for Rookie of the Year LaMelo Ball, and much, much more. His 20-year journey of starting out as a high school player and eventually getting to the NBA as a coach is extremely inspiring, and really shows that hard work truly pays off. All right, Jay, welcome to episode twenty-seven of Inside Buzz. From one Long Islander to another, thank you so much for coming on and taking the time.
1: I appreciate it. It's uh, yeah, it's great to see see you doing so well, man. And you know, like I said, it's just the beginning, which is awesome to see. And you know, glad to be on here.
0: Right now, you're reporting live from the NBA bubble in Disney. How's that going? And really, how how was it getting the news that you're gonna go from an assistant with the Hornets to the head coach of the Swarm? and you having to quarantine in the bubble.
1: Yeah, actually, it's been, it's been going really, really well here. I think it's, um, you know, the environment's been great. Coronado Springs and, and where we are has been phenomenal. I think uh, the G League's done a really, really good job of putting this together. The competition is at an all-time high, you know, from a G League perspective. Uh, teams that didn't opt in, you know, have players that are playing here with other teams on flex assignments, obviously the NBA bets. You know roster guys, so um, you know and a lot of up and coming young talent. So uh, super competitive. Uh, the coaches here are doing a really, really good job of implementing systems. You know, with minimal time, and uh, the games have been really, you know, just just a lot of fun to watch. You know, so uh, for me, being here, I wasn't really sure what to expect. You know, for me, it was just an opportunity for for our team to grow, for us as a Hornets franchise, to continue to develop you know, our young talent, you know, we're a team that uh, doesn't take on flex assignments or do those things. We, we make sure we have eight rookies and we're trying to make sure that those guys develop into some, an asset for, for the Hornets, you know, a guy that that can go ahead and play meaningful minutes. And we've had that over the years, you know, Malik Monk and, you know, uh, Devontae Graham, the Martins, you know, you go down the list, uh, Jalen McDaniels of guys that have played in the G and come, come right back and been able to give us some really quality minutes. Uh, That's really what, you know, we use it for, and uh, it's been been a huge thing, huge asset for for our organization. Uh, For me personally, it's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, Sometimes you can get into a rut, you know, being in the NBA and, you know, just getting comfortable. And for me, anytime I'm feeling comfortable, it makes me uneasy. You know, I want to make sure that I'm growing and uh, getting better. And uh, this, I I say it all the time, it fulfilled a want and a need for me. You know, it's like I wanted to coach, but I also needed the head coaching reps in order to get better, you know, in that light and build confidence in myself and, and see the things that I thought could work, you know, are actually working, you know, in live game scenarios. And so um, when you're sitting in the seat now, it's like, all right, well, you were, you had a lot to say when you're an assistant now, you know, try to pull the trigger and see if it's going to work as a head coach. And, and we've done some of those things and, you know, we're, we're learning a lot right now and uh, it's stuff that I'll be able to take back with the Hornets. So talk to uh, Coach Borrego and uh, told them that I really wanted to try to do this, you know, especially uh, within the season, it worked out well because I could still travel, still do my assistant duties with with the Hornets and then take the six weeks to, to try to improve as a head coach and, and really help our young guys that are part of the roster and then finish out the last, you know, second half of the season with the Hornets. So uh, I'm doing double duty this year and you know, it's the way I like it. It's just, um, you know, I'm used to it from being an entrepreneur and, you know, having to wear a lot of hats and Um, I think the management team and coaching staff, they've all been phenomenal with with trying to help me and, and, you know, be a resource for me while I've been here. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for anything more.
0: Everyone has heard about the bubble, the constant COVID tests, the strict rules, the food, being away from family for so long. How have you dealt with all that?
1: Uh, They've got it down, you know, down pack. You know, it's um, every day we have our testing time. um, you know we fill out a questionnaire a quick little questionnaire that's that's an app that we have on our phone um, you know the food services are available to us they have snacks and everything so I you know I feel like from a standpoint of you know doing it and doing it the right way um, the NBA the G League you know they, they figured it out you know again we've you know knock on wood no cases you know from from the first bubble to this bubble so uh, you know just from a standpoint of not stopping play and allowing everybody this opportunity to get out here and do this. Um, I think it's been phenomenal. You know, I know, and when, when I was with the Hornets, uh, we, t- we were testing twice a day, you know, we were coming in in the morning and then we'd come back at night and test again. And, you know, just, uh, it's just something that we've grown accustomed to and um, you know, in order to, you know, participate the way we need to, you know, these are things that we have to deal with. And, you know, as part of our health and safety protocol, and you know, I think everybody would take, getting tested every day and and doing the things that we have to do right now in order to play uh, play the game that we love and so you know I think everybody's very appreciative and fortunate you know to be in this situation right now
0: plenty of young talent on that swarm roster of yours Vernon Carey Kobe Simmons Nick Richards Jalen McDaniels Schofield and so many others now the NBA G League you know you could be putting up a ton of numbers and not get a call up but then there's some guys who are glue guys and really specialists who will get the call up. You're the master developer. What does an NBA player have to do to get a call up from the JU League?
1: Yeah, I think it depends on your franchise. I think a lot of it is uh, what are the co- key concepts for your team? You know, what they, can you, for us, it's playing in snap, you know, snap mentality, point five mentality, you know, drive, kick, swing is a big thing that, that, that the Hornets do, you know, so uh, defensively, you know, can you, can you, defend and lock in that way and know the coverages and be vocal on the court. So I think for, for a lot of the guys in the G League, it's, it's, it's less about putting up major numbers because I think there's been a lot of guys that have put up major numbers in the G League and never really had that chance to, to get the call up. Um, so I think if you're working within like us, if you're working within the confines of the organization is you have to start getting really good at, you know, what are the key concepts you know from that organization? Can you impact winning or impact the game in eight minutes? is, is the real question. You know, if they feel like you're, if you're just a volume shooter, you know, that's, that's putting up 25 points a game, you know, we have enough guys that do that, you know? So I think a lot of times is, um, you know, trying to figure out how you can be the best version of yourself. Obviously you want to come out here and play well in, in, in the G league. A guy like Devonte would, would need to put up some points, you know, or Malik Monk for sure. Um, but I think the organization and coaches are looking at um, in general or, are they figuring out, you know, how to play the game that we want to play? You know, even if the process doesn't result in, in a made basket, did they get in the lane and they had three guys guarding them? Did they kick it to the corner, you know, for, for a wide open three? And if you're doing that consistently, we know with the guys that you have with the Hornets that the here or you know, or Gordon Hayward are going to knock down that shot, you know? So it's, it's, you might only show that you play, you were out there and had four assists, but you know, you made the right play. 15 times you know that that's something that we can see translating to to getting minutes at the nba level so um, a lot of that is really uh stuff that we're focusing in on here now just trying to get guys comfortable with calling out coverages being in the right coverages you know and and doing the the little things over and over again because that's if you're great at basic you know then you're going to be be great overall you know by the end of the game and that's that's what we're trying to preach
0: i'll say right off the bat I see your guy Vernon Carey, the former Duke standout, who's really been putting up numbers for you in the G League, a bunch of 25, 30 point performances. I see him being the next Charlotte Hornets star big man. He's six foot nine, fits that mold of a very, you know, high talented, unique and versatile center. Tell me about him, and when will we see him in the Hornets rotation, in a concrete role with the team?
1: Yeah, like Vernon has been awesome. You know, he's, uh, he's doing everything we ask of him. You know, he's, he's taking extra sessions with whiteboard sessions that we have, you know, watching film. Uh, you know, he's been getting his work in every day, working on his low post plus his shooting. Uh, and he's versatile. Like you said, he's got good hands. He's got a great touch. Um, you know, little things like from game one to now, like instead of just running to space, he's running to find a body. And he's making them have to guard him, you know, so now. If he pulls in a guard with him, it opens up the, the threes for us on the perimeter. If they're trying to bump him out, you know, try to get a big down at a bump out, you know, he's, he's creating driving lanes. And then he's also just, you know, deep ceiling guys and getting the ball deep in the post and scoring, you know, getting fouled. Uh, so that's been been a big thing that we've seen already from him. You know, obviously, uh, defensively, he's getting much better. You know, I think that's a that's one of the harder things for a rookie bigs to get really good at in the NBA is that actually be able to identify, what what plays are coming based on alignments and so you know it it takes game reps to see these things happening whether it's oh here comes chin here's pistol you know I've got to call this coverage or that coverage and be the back line guy so you know that's one of the areas we've got to get him you know continuously getting better at is is vocalizing those things and then being in those right positions from a a team defensive standpoint I think he does a really good job you know holding his ground one-on-one and doing those things he's strong Um, so yeah you know again it's Whenever you're dealing, dealing with an NBA franchise, it all comes down to just when your number's called, you know, it's uh, just to be ready and show that you can do those things. And, and we've seen that over and over again, whether it was guys that played in the G League or, you know, we had guys that were low-minute, no-minute guys that we were, um, you know, playing pickup with and, and doing extra drill work with that got the na- that got their name called. And then all of a sudden they gave us really valuable minutes. And that that's happened, you know, year in and year out during during the Borrego era with the Hornets. So. You know, I think it's it's he's going to put pressure on coach at some point for sure. And then it's going to be coach's decision to, to see what he wants to do.
0: And I heard right before the bubble began in that quarantine process, you had a lot of motivational speakers come in and talk to the guys. Who were some of those guys who came in?
1: Yeah, we started with uh, Joe Perry, sports psychologist, because I knew, you know, that how important um, that was going to be the mental aspect. Obviously, being in a bubble uh, format and, you know, it's it's. Being away from family, like you said, is, is super difficult. You know, I know it's, it's really difficult for me. It's uh, after a tough loss uh, or maybe not playing or whatever. You, you can't just go out to your favorite restaurant or go meet with a friend. You know, you're back at the cafeteria with the team that you just lost against, you know, and probably seeing coaches uh, that, that you want to take a break from. But, um, you know, this, so we wanted to make sure that they knew they had a resource there to talk to, um, which was huge. We had Raja Bell talk to, talk to everybody. He's somebody that I had a chance to, to train, you know um, while he was playing uh, great guy, you know, just a great, again, motivational story there, just from an undrafted guy uh, playing at small schools, uh, getting cut in his first NBA gig, but you know, was just a true pro and um, you know, got Popovich on the side and said, okay, well, I'm going to recommend you to Philly. And he we went to Philly, took two 10 day, 10 day contracts uh, played well in the playoffs, and the rest is history. You know, he had some great stories about the Phoenix Suns days, Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, so it was it was awesome talking to him. Um, you know, we had uh, man, it was it was just like ongoing. Chris Romulo who um, wrote a book, you know, champions uprising, former um, Muay Thai champion, lost his house and business uh, to uh, tropical storm Sandy, and then just recently lost his business again to COVID. Um, so he had some things to talk about. Um, you know, we had Jay Cole, uh, came on and talked to the guys, um, unbelievable stories about how he went into the music industry, thought he was going to have a major record deal by the time he got out of college. Um, you know, told some, some just unbelievable stories, you know, and, and really broke down some knowledge on social media for our guys as well. He kind of touched on a lot of things and, um, you know, our guys were, were really, you know, locked in, you know, to, to him, obviously, um, you know, we had Coach Borrego come on and talk and, you know, we, we had a, it was a slew of, of, of people that came on and it was just, uh, it was awesome to see just everybody kind of came from different backgrounds, but, you know, the, we talk about the fighter mentality was, was prevalent for everybody, you know, in terms of what they had to fight through to get to where they were and what they wanted to get out of life. And, um, you know, even when things weren't going right, they just still had that mentality to keep fighting, and um, you know, I think that was a, a great message for our guys to hear, especially with the 11-day quarantine and knowing that we were going to be, you know, in a six-week bubble, you know, just to kind of maintain, you know, who you are and, and what your, you know, your goals are in the future. To to see that, you know, keep your eye on the prize kind of thing. So it was it was really really cool.
0: So right now, of course, you're in the bubble, but let's take it back to the beginning on Long Island where it all began. Man, you've had a really really impressive story. Take me through being a high school player, getting to Hofstra, working a regular job, having to quit to really take up basketball full time, and eventually getting noticed to go into the NBA.
1: You know, I come I come from a like a basketball background. My father played 13 years professionally in Puerto Rico. Uh, was on the national team there at one point in time. Um, so I was there from about two two and a half to seven years old. So I can remember watching my father play and being in that environment as a as a ball boy, mascot, you know, running around the court with my little uniform and shooting, um, and then uh, you know, again coming back to Long Island and and just growing up there was was great. Um, you know, just just being a Suffolk County kid at that point in time, I was all over, you know, kind of uh, playing everywhere. You know, I was going to in College at the time, playing with with college guys when I was in middle school, high school, just just not necessarily playing with them, but, you know, getting to run on the track with them and just, you know, shoot around and just be around the environment with, with the Joe Pelican and Mike Voyak there, Um, you know, go to Sayville and and play pickup there, Santa Marichas and all the different spots that were out there. And then I ended up commuting uh, to uh, St. Dominic and Oyster Bay from Bayport, which was about an hour, hour drive each way. And so, um, you know, it was a commitment that I made. you know, it was a, a basketball-heavy school at the time. There was no football, so basketball kind of reigned supreme there. And when I went there and visited, I, you know, I played one-on-one with uh, Jimmy Sheehy, who um, was the point guard, you know, that I played with all those years and um, went to Williams College and had a great career. Um, I just fell in love with it. You know, Tom Tarantino, who was the head coach there, um, you know, embraced me and said, listen, we'll figure, it, we'll figure it out. Like, you know, if I have to drop you off, which he did at times, at a gas station on like exit 58 off the LIE and my, my parents would pick me up there at like 9:30 at night after uh, practice or whatever and get up super early with the teacher and drive in you know be be uh be up and ready to go by 5:45. so it really taught me a lot in terms of like time management and you know if you really want something that you know, you'll figure out a way to get it done and you know, I think it just set the tone for me you know and I, I became a better student because I, I started really prioritizing you know when I need to get my stuff done I couldn't be messing around and uh, St. Dominic at the time was phenomenal. You know, it was one of the, the best programs, premier programs around. I mean, from a Long Island Catholic League standpoint, there was, you know, almost a Division I player on every, every roster, you know, during that time period. Um, you know, we played the top teams in the city at that time. And, you know, we were playing against, you know, Christ the King every year, you know, Malloy. Um, you know, played Rice High School and had Felipe. We played against Sham God, you know, when he was at LaSalle. Um, you name it. We, we weren't ducking anybody who had some great matchups and games with, with everybody. And, you know, I played with some talented guys. You know, like I said, we had a bunch of guys that ended up, you know, walking onto major division one programs, uh, playing high level division three, Jimmy Moran got his Jersey retired over in Spain. Um, you know, played a woman, well married a great career. Sean Kennedy led the nation in assists um, at Marist when he was in college, phenomenal player. So we just had a bunch of guys that could just, you know, just, pass dribble shoot and um, you know coach Tarantino did a great job with us so you know from there you know I ended up at New Hampshire for a year transferred back to Hofstra which was the best decision I'd made you know play under Jay Wright and then get to play with pros you know my my, my current uh, coach here Norman Richardson played in the pros um, you know Speedy Claxton obviously and a whole host of other guys that were phenomenal players thousand point scorers so you know I went went through that process got to go to a couple of uh, postseason tournaments NIT and two NCAA tournaments and you know, um, it was just a phenomenal ride, you know, for us as a, as a program. So during that time, I was also training kids on the side, you know, my father was the first trainer over at Island Garden in West Hempstead, which, uh, was the first like real big facility that opened up in Long Island. Um, people didn't really know what basketball training was, you know, they, um, sounds funny now because it's so, so big time, right. Everybody, everybody knows what training is, but at that point in time, most of the players in New York is like, I'm already nice. Like, why would I need to pay you to train me? Right? Like that was the mentality. Um, You know, so the kids that I started getting early on were kids that were accustomed to tennis lessons and, you know, pitching coaches and those kinds of things, you know, so the parents had a little money and they knew what training was. And I was working on these side baskets over at Island Garden while AAU tournaments were going on. And this is back in 1998. I'm still fresh in college and um you know we're working on side basket on the little interlocking mats it wasn't a wood court or anything like that and um uh, just a little portable hoop and i was training kids and so the kids that i was training i had to break it down to like the most simplest things you know in terms of footwork uh terminology of like when to use these moves you know how to how to use them and and why are you using them and you know kind of put a curriculum together and while i was doing that it really helped me because when I got with better players down the line, we already had like the freeze pull up concepts in place or the trigger series and all these things. And then when I had trainers, I was able to coach my trainers on the terminology and, you know, what these moves were and all these kinds of things. So um, by the time you know, I got out of you know, college, I had a pretty good following, but you know, I realized I, I needed to have something stable for my family. So I got into admissions with Hofstra. I was a director of strategic planning. For like nine months, uh, I don't know, even know what I was doing or, or what it was, but it was a great title. And then I moved into pharmaceutical sales for two years. Uh, Chris Eldridge, I played at Hofstra, put me in contact with his wife, who was a district manager for a Johnson and Johnson company. And I did that, and I did really well, well with that. I was a rookie of the year in sales for the Eastern region, and you know, like, was was, was going hard with that. I had a gas a gas car, a car, you know, benefits, good salary, bonus structure, the whole nine. And uh, I found myself working more on the court than I was in my real day job by the time I got to year two. So talked to my wife, which was a hard conversation to have. It's like I want to quit my job. You know, I know we're we're doing well financially and all this other stuff. And this industry wasn't even existing. You know, in 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 terms of like people running businesses and basketball training and making that their livelihood. So I said I I think I I I got another chance to go play in Puerto Rico. You know, had taken two years off from playing, got myself in phenomenal shape, went back, played. And then came back to camps and clinics I had already set up, you know, I was like, all right, we have six months to make it work. And if it doesn't, then I'll go go right back to pharmaceutical sales. I'll be able to get a job again. And uh, yeah, luckily I didn't have to do that. You know, 10 years later, you know, 2004, we started a company called pro hoops and it just, it grew, you know, little by little grew. And I just kept trying to do it the right way. You know, just uh, you know, working crazy hours, finally getting some help. And um, you know, by the time we got to year seven, eight, nine, 10, major sponsorship deals with Under Armour, Muscle Milk. Um, we had like eight lottery picks and a, a number of NBA guys that were, that were working out with us. And um, the whole Orlando thing just came out of nowhere, really. You know, it was just one of those things that uh, I think Jock Vaughn had seen the work I did with Tobias Harris who got traded there. Um, and one of our assistants from Hofstra, Brett Gunning, was also an assistant there at that point in time. So when he asked to go see Tobias's workout, he's like, oh, he's with Jay. Like uh, I coach Jay, uh, he's in good hands. And so that was nice. And then once, you know, again, our lottery picks were going there to train, you know, uh, for pre-draft workouts. Jock was asking them, like, where are you guys training? Oh, we're in Long Island with Jay Hernandez. So he heard that for two years as well during that process because Orlando was in the lottery. And at some point in time, he's just like, I want to have dinner with this guy. I want to see what he's about. So, uh, you know, kind of last game of the season for for Orlando um, was like probably in 2000 might've been 2014 uh, for them. And, you know, they had a game in Brooklyn and we met at an Italian restaurant and sat down and it was like an informal interview. We just, you know, kind of just chopped it up, talked basketball. And he asked me, yeah, he asked me specifically, why would you even consider the NBA at this point? You know, your program's so successful. Um, You seem to love what you're doing. And I just told him, I I missed the competitive aspect. I, I missed you know, my, my work being a result, you know, helping in, in, wins, you know, and, and feeling that competitive, you know, uh, aspect of things where when you're training, it's, it's grave, you're building great relationships where you're not directly involved in the wins and losses anymore. So, um, you know, eventually he gave me that shot and, um, we ended up talking later a few months later and he said, listen, we have a position that's open. We'd like you to come down. And at first I didn't think I was going to accept it, you know, cause it was in Florida. My wife was a tenure teacher in New York, which is hard to come by. And, um, my daughter was going to be a senior at St. Mary's high school. They were, they were uh, playing for a state championship. They had a really good team. And so I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this, you know, but I'm going to say yes to everything. Yeah. Yes. I'm willing to do it. Yes, yes, yes. And then I'll see what the offer looks like kind of thing. Um, And then when it got down to it, I was like, you know what? Training is now starting to become very competitive. If I have MBA on my resume, it's almost like having a doctoral doctoral degree in basketball and uh, you know, I, I signed a two-year deal the, the staff had already been there for two years. So I signed a two-year deal. Um, and, you know, I said, let me, let me give it a shot and see what, what it is. And now here we are in year seven. Incredible, incredible
0: story. And when you played in Puerto Rico, was that, was that
1: after the pharmaceutical job or is that before? I did it before. And I, after I quit my pharmaceuticals, I went back to play. So that's when I took, took uh, two years off from playing and I was just, a salesman. I was literally in a suit, you know, walking around with, a, with a antibiotics in my bag, uh, walking from doctor's office to doctor's office, uh, trying to get out by 3 o'clock. So I could go train from, you know, 4 to 10 at night every night. You know, that, that, that was my, my life for a few years before, uh, before I was able to do it full time.
0: And early on in the company, who were some of those guys that you trained? I saw Wally Zerbiak was one of the first ones. Later down the line, you had a young Kemba Walker, Tobias Harris, CJ McCollum. Of course, those guys are NBA stars now. Tell me about how you developed those relationships.
1: I mean, Wally was somebody that I grew up with. You know, he's a Long Island guy. And, um, you know, we started playing in the summers together um, with uh, the Leondis brothers. It was uh, three brothers that um, were older than us that, you know, would open up a gym. They'd pay for a gym and then have these great pickup runs. I mean, they, they were they would invite like Kenny Atkinson at the time who was still playing overseas and Chris Mullen would come down. Um, you know, we just had a, a who's who's list of guys, you know, we had the, the Blasianitis brothers who were division three, all Americans. So guys that were older than us uh, that would beat us up, that knew how to play. Um, and I felt like in those, in those games, if you missed a shot, you probably were going to lose. I mean, it was just like lights out guys just were setting hard screens. Everybody could make a shot and, it was just great for us. Like, if you felt like if you were welcomed into that environment, you know, for, for Wally, myself, uh, Jimmy Moran, who started playing there, John Randazzo, welcomed in that environment meant you knew how to play, you know, because they weren't just going to take people that were out there just dribbling a hundred times and jacking up shots. They, they wanted to see, all right, are you defending? Are you you're knowing how to cut and move and talk and communicate? So it helped me out a lot in my game. And so Wally and I, we did that for years. So we ended up playing in Summer league uh, tournaments all throughout his career. Um, you know, while he was an NBA All Star and everything, we we go back to the St. Mary's League, and go you know play in that, dominate, and and just have fun every summer. And it was just a, uh, it was just great. So like when he got to the NBA, he's like, listen, I know you're training. I need you to help me, you know, with some of my ball handling skills, get my shot off quicker, things like that. You know, can we just get some work in? So that's really how it started. You know, and um, you know. He ended up doing a video with me at the time, you know, like an instructional video and gave me credit for helping him become an NBA all-star, you know, as a testimonial, just like very, very gracious, you know, for him to give me that opportunity. He was my first legitimate pro. And, and they grew from there just kind of, you know, again, and I wasn't seeking out pros. I think that's the one thing that a lot of young trainers make a mistake on, you know, it's like, they're out there. Like, how do I get pros? How do I get pros? I was, I never cared if I had a pro. It was just like, whoever's in the gym with me is getting, Pro like training, and you know, I I was so appreciative that they were in the gym working with me, and to this day, I have great relationships with all the players that are now doing other stuff and advertising, doctors, lawyers, you name it. And um, you know, a lot of the lessons they felt like they learned in there, they they take on with them in life, and so it's it's been really cool. You know, that's the best part of that whole experience. And then from there, it got to just word of mouth. Like Raja Bell came through um, John Brennan, who was one of our trainers. They they went to BU together. Um, one of our other trainers, uh, Mike pomucci at the time had a connection with, uh, some guys in Philly and put me in contact with Jameer Nelson. Um, and so I went for one summer, I was, I was getting up at like 4:15 in the morning to drive to Philly to work him out in Chester, um, PA, uh, you know, at 7 AM. And then I drive right back to Long Island and do my training for the rest of the night. So I actually just talked to him cause he's, uh, he's got a gig with, uh, Delaware blue coats as an assistant GM and the scouting uh, we were just talking about those times and and then once you know that stuff happened it was good and then I started having guys that came up the pipeline that, that ended up going to division one or you know were good enough out of college now to start getting drafted so Tobias I had known before draft and we were working together so his dad who repped him <clears throat> said we want to keep him here with you and that was like our first real pre-draft class was with Tobias Charles Jenkins was a guy from Hofstra who I had been training while he was in college as well and I I really believed that he was a pro you know and and you know, we had him working out with pros before he got into pre-draft, and he his, he just kept getting better and better. Um, so he ended up, you know, coming to pre-draft with us, and then Kemba Walker also came through Excel Sports that year. Um, you know, Sean Kennedy, who I told you I played with, became an agent with Excel Sports, who now has the most money in the NBA uh, with Jeff Schwartz and Sam Goldfeder and then. And so they said, yeah, we'll give him a chance. We already know that you know Kemba, and, you know, we feel comfortable having him come to you. And so those are, those are my guys. All three of those guys got drafted that first year and then it just snowballed from there, you know, just kept growing and growing and ended up doing an exclusive deal with, with Excel sports, you know, for the next few years. And um, you know, they had, they had a ton of guys that were coming through and just a great relationship to build on. And um, and that's kind of how it took off. You know, we were able to, you know, not only have the, the business, but we had a not-for-profit that we did. You know, I was running the website at the time I made my own website. I was editing it every day and, you know, doing the scheduling and answering phones and all that stuff. So that's why I said it's uh, doing this G League right now reminds me a lot of that, you know, wearing a lot of hats and, and being accountable for it all. And uh, I love it.
0: You definitely know the grind for sure. Those years at Hofstra, man, were they special. A couple of trips to the tournament. What were some of your favorite moments from your time at Hofstra?
1: For sure. I mean, the first thing that stood out was, you know, how we went to the ECAC holiday holiday festival and played at Madison square garden. And, you know, we ended up, uh, that first year that we were in it, it was such a big deal. Just all New York guys, you know, getting to play at the garden, uh, was phenomenal. And, and we ended up being a very, very good Georgia tech team, you know, in our first game. And the next night we beat a, a, a Penn team that went to the, NCAA tournament as well, who was really, really talented. And we won the, the holiday festival. And then we ended up winning it the next year. And then we lost in the championship, you know, my third year, um, but what a, what a great experience. And that kind of started to make us all believe like, Hey, like what, what Jay and Tom core and everybody's doing here, you know, it's working, you know, we, we have the talent to compete with anybody across the country. Uh, we have the ability, you know, after, you know, 30 years of not being in an NCAA tournament, we, we finally have an opportunity here to do something special. And, um, you know, we ended up doing that. Uh, the Obviously the NCAA tournament playing, playing in, the, in those two were, were huge. You know, again, it was a, uh, Kind of like, you know, it was like a, we felt like there was a curse that was lifted and just being a Long Island guy, you know, winning a title right off Hempstead Turnpike, you know, at the, at the Max Sports Complex in front of a sold out crowd, uh, seeing all the high school coaches that, you know, I played against or guys, you know, that uh, that helped me out, family, friends, all that stuff. Uh, you know, that those are memories, you know, obviously playing a championship at home, you know, against uh, two really good Delaware teams, you know, really solidified you know kind of what we were about you know at Hofstra and um, you know for me it's more about the relationships like we're, we're all so tight to this day uh, if you see you know my my social media a lot of it is always you know giving props to Hofstra because you know uh, I went there and you know it helped helped develop me as a person you know I got a dual MBA in marketing and management while I was there um, they looked after me not only as an athlete but you know again as a person that they, they they welcomed my family and you know to this day you know i'll do whatever i can for them
0: i gotta tell you jay it's it's awesome having you on a uh, fellow long islander and hearing all these long island references because i know exactly where they are just some places a few miles from my house pretty awesome to have you um another long islander who i had and your former teammate speedy Claxton. he was he was an insane player when he was at Hofstra, of course turned into a one-time nba champion multi-year veteran who really helped out a lot of good teams in the league how good was he when he was back with you at Hofstra
1: phenomenal like I don't think I don't think people realize how great he was I mean again just by him being who he is and I always say motivate each other by the way you work like the way he worked motivated me you know and we'd have sessions where you know I'd be in with him and Norman Richardson so I'm here I am this guy who can barely touch rim you know competing, playing one-on-one with these guys. Nobody's giving an inch. Um, You know, I first got there, I had a hard time even getting my shot off around him because his hands were so quick. So, you know, I had to do things technically like to change the line on my shot. Like I couldn't bring it up like the prototypical, like straight up the line. I had to like adjust and go over the top and do some things, some funky things and stuff that really helped me down the line. Um, And when I've gotten to real game situations, I felt like I felt free. I was like, all right, this is, this is as much pressure as I'm going to get in this game because we were, we were going that hard in practice. And, you know, there was never anything like we wanted to fight each other because we were going so hard. You see that in a lot of instances, like, yo, why are you going so hard? You know, like, you know, that you're trying to embarrass me or whatever. We were like, no, we're going to get each other better. And, and we, we wanted to win every single drill. So with Speedy, you know, um, I don't know if I've ever seen, even in the NBA now, a guy his size with his type of athleticism, it's, it's, it's unheard of. And, you know, he won the, he ended up winning the college slam dunk contest. I mean, his athleticism was by far his stop and go and just his jumping ability was, was phenomenal. You know, now you couple that with a handle with the intelligence, you know, uh, the work ethic and his toughness, you know, you can see why he was, you know, a champion in the NBA and why he, he was playing in meaningful games, you know, when it mattered most. And, uh, you know, like I said, to this day, uh, I haven't seen really anybody like him, you know, uh, You know in person you know and guys that i've worked with he just he he had a different type of of skill set uh unfortunately some injuries you know got in the way you know uh with him but um you know what what he meant to that program and you know what he meant to us as as players that play with him um it's unmatched you know our confidence going into games knowing that we had him there on the court with us was like all right we're ready to go
0: is there something that you took from your old head coach jay wright that you now use today as a head coach
1: I think with Jay is um, he knew exactly what he wanted from his, his players. Um, you know, he knew what, the, what, what his vision was for the team. And, you know, he spoke on it consistently. You know, he just did not. He was relentless with his ability to, to come at us with doing things the right way over and over again. And I can remember as a captain of the team that if somebody didn't dive on the floor, he was yelling at me you know, he wanted me to hold other people accountable and that helped me become a better leader, you know? So at the time I wasn't understanding. I'm like, why are you yelling at me? Like, I dove on the floor, like I have bruises everywhere, but that's what he was trying to say is like, you're, you're giving your all, you're a starter on this team. And then you are allowing somebody else to come out here and not give it the same effort. I don't care if we're up by 20 or, or 30 or down 50, it doesn't matter. We're going to play the same way all the time. And so for him, he's taught me so many valuable lessons. A lot of, you know, again, the the mantra for for Jay is attitude um, because attitude encompasses everything. You know, it's kind of like what I keep talking about in terms of the fighter mentality. Uh, Your attitude dictates, you know, how you approach every day, you know, how you handle things and, you know, how you handle people. And so uh, we always said attitude every day. So that's something that always sticks with me. And I can remember when Speedy graduated, you know, we started in the backcourt together and, um, then I, I knew that I was going to be the point guard full time the next year. And, you know, he said like, you know, you're not speedy, you know, you're Jay and you have to handle things a little bit differently in the way you handle things. And we're still going to be very successful here, you know, so figure out how to run this team your way. You know, you don't have to live up to speedy. You don't have to do the things that speedy did. And that was a, that was a big conversation for me, you know, it kind of, uh, you know, kind of lesson things for me and realize like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to do this the way I know how to do it best. And we had eight seniors, you know, that came back. So we knew we were going to be pretty good, where maybe other people didn't, didn't know, you know, outside. They were like, oh, well, you just lost a lottery pick. How good can you guys be this year? And we ended up having a better statistical year in terms of wins that next year because our guys were just locked in. You know, we had, uh, you know, we had balanced scoring. And, you know, again, our guys knew the system inside and out. And Jay had an opportunity, I believe, to, to go to Rutgers, you know, for significantly more money. And, you know, I think he already knew in his mind, like at some point I'm going to be at Villanova um, and I'm going to show everybody that we, we're going to win it again you know, with this group. And that's only going to elevate my stock that much more, you know, and he knew what we had coming back. We knew what we had coming back and, you know, just, uh, you know, his ability to bet on himself and, and know, um, you know, what he had within the program, what he built was, was phenomenal. Because again, when he first got there, you know, he was wearing the same types of suits that he's wearing now. Maybe they're a little bit more expensive, but there were still three-piece suits. He still looked great. Um, he was around, you know, shaking hands, kissing babies and, you know, doing everything that you needed to do on campus. And he treated it like he was at Duke or North Carolina, right? Like it was just like a big-time program, even though really nobody was checking for Hofstra at that point in time. But when I went to New Hampshire, I knew. <laughs> I knew because they had at that point in time they brought in like, you know, Dwayne Posey and Tim Beckett, Stanley Martin, you know, Anthony Davis, and some guys that I knew from, from the local area, like, man, those guys are good, you know, like really good. And I go play pickup in the summer with them. And I was like, these guys are going to be really good. And then obviously they picked up Speedy. It was just, you know, I was just like, it's just a matter of time before they blow up. And so when I came back that year that I was able to sit out and be around those guys and play every day, it, like I said, it got me better because I was practicing against Speedy every single day, one-on-one having to guard them, you know, being on the scout team. And then I learned, you know, what it took to be, you know, a a Hofstra guy, you know, a, a guy that, that could play under Jay, uh, without being a threat to anybody for playing time. Right. I was I was just getting better. I was working on my game. And then the next year I just felt like I'm ready to go. You know, this the time is now for us to to start making some moves and and it was just a fun, fun, fun time, you know, fun, fun group to be a part of.
0: Jay, tell me about your relationship with Kemba Walker, NBA star for the Boston Celtics right now. You had him before he got to the league and, of course, during your time and his time with the Hornets. How devastating was it when he left and went to Boston?
1: Yeah, um, let, let me put it this way. I was, I was, I'm fortunate in what's happened in my career. Again, I'm not somebody who's ever looked to be in the NBA, um, You know, kind of found me. Uh, my first job I was able with, with Orlando link up with Tobias Harris there, who was part of again, I've I had him in, I have a picture of him in a camp with a bad defensive stance at like 15 years old. Um, you know, so I've known him for a long time. And then I, while I got there, it was Ben Gordon was there as well, who was somebody that I had a chance to work with. And then now my second job, you know, in Charlotte, I get to link up with, you know, Kemba, you know, four years later, you know, so now I'm in Orlando, I don't get to work with him for four years. So now it's like, all right, let me see what you learned. I'll, 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 show you what I learned and it was just a great synergy, you know? And so for him to make all NBA uh, to be a starter in the all-star game in Charlotte, I mean, just, you couldn't have scripted it any better from that standpoint and, and the way he just elevated his game. Um, and obviously, you know, hated, I hated to lose him just because he was just, he's a guy that I'm, I'm, I've been around for so long, such a good guy, right. Just it, forget the playing, just being around people like him, who are just genuine, authentic people. Uh, you love to be around them. So obviously, you know, uh, I miss him just from a personal standpoint. Um, but again, it's the NBA, there's business that that's involved and, you know, um, you know, him going to Boston for him, you know, especially with his roots in UConn and stuff like that. It, you know, I think it made sense for him, you know, in general. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, you know, from a Hornets standpoint, uh, you know, again, I think we've we've gotten some some great great guys in the mix now that, that that I love coaching. I know we're going to talk about them, but you know, I think what the Hornets do a great job of is, is finding good people. You know, they 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 do their due diligence. You know, working with these young guys that I have now, they're just they're great kids to be around, and um, you know, it, it was no different with Kemba.
0: Leads right up to it. And how can I not touch on those young and hungry Charlotte Hornets? Of course, led by LaMelo Ball, Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier. Right now, they're sitting in eighth and have really scratched and clawed their way t- to wins and really have kept up with some of the best teams in the NBA. Why is this team playing so good right now?
1: I think it's uh, the chemistry. I do. I think um, I think these guys really love playing for each other. Um, again, um, our management team, scouting department, did, has done a great job of, of finding guys that love to play basketball i think it's it's very underrated you know they have guys that love to play and then now you got guys that love to play together so you're seeing that you know they're willing to make the extra pass they're willing to make the the extra defensive play you know to cover a teammate and um you know coach borrego again you got to give him a lot of credit i mean it's just with the things that have happened with COVID, you know injuries and all those kinds of things it's uh, the next man up mentality everybody stays ready in our program to play, you know, it's not one guy that steps on the court that, you know, hasn't been working on their game, you know, hasn't been playing, you know, and playing within the structure of what we do not just playing pickup, but actually doing things that we do consistently. So when they get on the court, their rhythm and timing is there, you know, it's conditioning is there. And, um, you know, so like I said, just with our staff, we've got a great blend of guys, you know, that have, you know, great experience Some young up and coming coaches, everybody's got a voice. And then the players, I think, sense that, you know, they realize like everybody's here to help us get better and, you know, makes them want to come into practice and give their all. So, you know, I, I just love, I love the way our guys compete. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I, again, coach uses the word, you know, resiliency, you know, it's just a very resilient group. They, they fight through a lot of adversity on a consistent basis and uh, manage a way to, you know, just be in games late. And, you know, I, I really feel when we're in games late that our coaching staff has the right you know, end of game scenario situations and put guys in the right situations in order to be successful. And we've seen that in, in, in crunch time every single time that they've been in those situations.
0: I'm sure you heard the noise from NBA fans and kind of everybody who's just watching LaMelo Ball. Early on, he didn't start right off the bat. People weren't so happy with that, but what was it? Why didn't he start right off the bat? Was it getting a relationship with the players, learning the system? And now that he is a starter, just after game 25 he became a starter will he be there in a concrete role
1: yeah I mean at the end of the day you know we, we had some pretty talented guys you know that that are in the mix that uh, know the system really well you know so for you know I, I've been in situations where I've had a lot of talented rookies lottery pick rookies guys that have been all-stars in Orlando um, you know under that tree and you know, the one thing you'll notice is if, if you just have guys that are young that just are handed the keys right out the gate, you know, sometimes there's an accountability thing that's, you know, not there or it's not fair to them to just all of a sudden say, okay, like you don't really know the system and we haven't had a, a lot of time to work with you in the off season, right? This was a, a weird off season. Uh, so no summer league, no, you know, no prep time beforehand. Uh, so it's a, it's a tough scenario to just put anybody in, you know, and, and say, okay, here you go. You know, we have a very, unique style of offense that we run. Uh, so I, I think, you know, what, what Coach Borrego did was was phenomenal and just the way he's handled things. And, and I think all in all, like I said, all of our guys, you know, uh, have embraced whatever role they're, they're given because they know that at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to be about the right things and we're trying to develop our guys. And, you know, regardless of, you know, starting, not starting, whatever, like all of our guys at one point or another, I've been in those scenarios and, you know, they, they just put it, put up numbers regardless, you know, they've gone out and done what they've needed to do without, you know, letting their mind get in the way. And I, that's the biggest thing about LaMelo. He's just a, such a great person. Um, anything that you read about him or hear about him from the Hornets is that he just brings such great positive energy. He's always smiling, joking. Um, you know, he's like a, a breath of fresh air. Cause again, he's a guy who loves to play basketball. You know, he's just another guy that we've added to the mix that loves to play. And so, you know, at the end of the day, again, it's always it's always coach's call, you know, it's, he's going to he's always going to push the right buttons in regards to what what's needed for our team. And, um, you know, like I said, just because, um, you know, our guys love playing with each other and they're, they're trying to win games for each other. You know, again, it, it really doesn't matter, you know, w- w- what a guy's doing, whether he's starting or not starting for our program. So I think at the end of the day, um, if, if, the, if the right combination of guys is out there, you know, uh, for the first and second unit, uh, that's that's going to be, you know, the button that that Coach Borrego is going to push in order to get us over the hump.
0: I see that just on TV. Uh, you see LaMelo in there. Terry Rozier called them the happiest players to ever play with. Yeah. Him and Miles Bridges always laughing and, and really gaining that chemistry together along with the other guys. So I see that through and through I'm tour. Sure you do as well.
1: Yeah. No, it's, I think it translates. You know, I think you see it, you know, when you're watching them play and, you know, again, just in terms of, uh, you know, those kinds of comments that a guy like Terry's making. He's been he's been around for a while. Um, you know, Bismack Biyombo. You know, all these guys love being around him. And um, you know, like I said, when 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 you have guys that love to hoop and you know bring that positive energy, it's contagious every day. Now it becomes a little bit more fun to come into work after playing it back to back and traveling and those kinds of things because you got somebody in there that that can lighten the mood.
0: From training camp to now, 32 games in, what's the biggest improvement you've seen Lamelo Ball make?
1: I think uh, defensively, you're seeing him, you know, just being able to read, he's got an, an, an instinctually, he's got that, you know, but I think now he's starting to, to be more calculated, you know, with, with some of his, his reads on, on when to attack the passing lane, and he's starting to see, you know, what the coverages, you know, are, and, you know, all those weak side, like, kind of helps his scenarios. So that's something that most people would not, probably wouldn't see, you know, as a casual fan, but, you know, as a coaching staff, you're like, yeah, he's, he's starting to figure that stuff out. Um, and then offensively, you know, obviously he's been shooting the ball really well. You know, I think that's something that, you know, maybe was, was a little bit of a concern for some people, you know, coming into, into the season. But, you know, obviously he's showing, you know, pretty good consistency in terms of being able to keep people honest, you know, where it's not like, Hey, we can just go under on this guy. Cause he's, he's been making, you know, enough threes to, to really keep him honest. And then when, once he gets downhill, he's just, he can either score it or he's, he's tall enough to find guys over the top. And that, that's what makes him really lethal.
0: And that guy over the top is, of course, Miles Bridges. Mostly, he's yeah. made strides last year. This season, is it the combination of Lamelo Ball being in there, hyping him up, getting him going, and just the progress he's made? What exactly is the formula for why he's playing so well?
1: Yeah, I think uh, those two have a great connection. Obviously, uh, Lamelo knows where to put that ball, you know, perfectly for him. And I think it, it's nice to have a guy that. You can look at it and know, hey, I'm going up to go get this, and he's confident enough to throw it. You know, because some of the angles that Lamelo's throwing it from, you're like, oh no, you know. And then all of a sudden, it's it's there and it's it's being dunked. So uh, he's got an uncanny ability with his right or left hand to throw the pass. And Miles, you know, obviously can go get that ball anywhere. Uh, I think Miles just he's just a worker. He's just uh, he's a great guy. Again, we asked him to come off the bench. You know, he's been starting for us at the three spot, and now he's coming off the bench as as the as the backup four and you know i think he's again a guy that um probably you know is is better suited at the four spot you know uh, i think there's a lot more mismatches there for him he's strong he can post up uh, he's quick off the bounce you know all those kinds of things so um you know a guy like him you know having a guy like him come off off the bench uh being that versatile uh makes your team that much more dangerous you know so um, you know with him he's just he's just a customer worker you know he's Flint, Michigan guy, you know, Michigan State guy, you know, and obviously uh, I've, I've had a chance to to really work with him closely the last few years. And, uh, you know, you just love to be around him because he loves hoops.
0: Another big acquisition for the Hornets this past summer, Gordon Hayward. How much has he meant to the team and, and the winning culture there?
1: Yeah, Gordon's been, been great. Um, again, just a great person. I'm going to keep saying the same thing over and over again. It's going to get redundant, but um Great guy, he's a true pro, you know, he's been in meaningful games, been in playoff games, you know, been an all-star, having an all-star level year this year, um, you know, really thought he had a chance to make the all-star game. Um, and, you know, just again, he's, he's your, he's a prototypical three, you know, who can score and pass. Right? He can make decisions off pick and roll. And so, you know, having a guy with his size and, and ball handling ability, shooting ability, you know, it's, it's a rare commodity. You know, so to be able to bring a guy like him into the fold, uh, and he's a young guy, but he's older than all of our other guys because we're so young. You know, so it's uh, for him. I know it's it's been funny to say like, hey, I'm one of the older elder statesmen. You know, on on the roster because he's still young, um, but he's been phenomenal to have around. You know, just again because he brings a calmness, a calm confidence about himself uh, that translates to our guys, especially when you know a team makes a run. And he's out there. He's like, it's all right. You know. We got this, you know, so uh, he's been there and done that. And, you know, having a guy like that that can really play um, is just somebody that that these guys can look to and and have confidence in, you know, game in and game out.
0: I saw an Instagram picture of you along with some of the Hornets guys uh, just about a year and a half ago. You were getting a run in with them. It seemed like you were sweating your butt off alongside them. Do you still get in runs and really play with them one-on-one?
1: Uh, yeah, when, when I can, when my body's feeling okay. You know, I like to, if it's feeling good, then then we're probably going to compete at, some, at something. I don't know what it's going to be, but we're going to have some fun competing. Um, you know, for years, I would just, you know, i play one-on-one, you know, post up one-on-one with guys, you know, uh, with our big guys. We have fun with my guards. It's something I just, I love to do, you know, it's like a post one-on-one. And then we would do some full court one-on-ones as well. You know, for years I was doing that. I, I think that might be, I might retire the, the full court ones and stick to post-up, you know, old man strength, you know, games now, but um, yeah, anytime I can get out there and, and sweat with these guys, you know, it's a uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has a great quote. It's a uh, sweat binds more than glue. And, I believe in that, you know, I believe that when you're out there, even if it's just for a one 45 minute session and you're out there rebounding for guys and and sweating with them and everything else like that, they know you're invested. They know that, Hey, this guy doesn't have to do this. Um, And when you do that, you just build an instant connection, you know? So for me, that's going to be something that I'm going to continue to try to do for as long as I can.
0: During your time in Orlando, you had a young Nikola Vucevic really before he made that next step into being a star. He of course was just named an NBA All Star for the first time. How much has he grown since you've had him, and how proud are you of him?
1: He's he's been killing for for a long time. He's a, he's been you know there was there was times there where it was like him and Demarcus Cousins going back were one and two in double doubles. I mean uh, I've been able to see it firsthand for for a long time. You know he um, you know early on I know Coach Borrego worked with them um, Matt Hill who it was with the Atlanta Hawks did a phenomenal job working with him consistently. And, you know, I, I was just, uh, you know, kind of just privileged to see him work because he, he's just, he's definitely one of the most skilled bigs that I, I I've ever seen. You know, he can go with either hand, you know, he can shoot the three, he can pass, um, you know, he's, he's just, he's a great guy to be around. He's, he's one of the, the funniest guys to be around too. He's just, he's got a great sense of humor. Um, so he's a guy that you love to see, you know, be successful because he's, he's really put in the time, um, you know, he's he's been there when, again, we could barely win 20 games to, to make in the playoffs and, you know, just with, with guys that are, are in a program where they've been at the bottom and, and been able to see it grow and get to the point where they're, they're a playoff uh, team and contending, you know, that that's, that's a big deal. So you always like to hear and see those kinds of stories. And because I was there, I'm, I'm definitely always rooting for him.
0: Another guy down in Orlando that you really, you know, worked with so much and who has so much potential, Jonathan Isaac. He's really caught the injury bug as of late, and we really haven't seen a full season from him. How much potential does he have? He's got
1: a tremendous amount. You know, he's, he's a guy that uh, probably close to seven foot. If he's not seven foot, you know, he's, he's got the length. Um, again, he can put it on the deck. He covers so much ground defensively, you know, and again, it's just, um, you know, Great guy, you know, just a guy that, you know, loves to be be in the gym. You know, he's he's a guy that came from a really good program in college. And, you know, you understand, you know, what, what he can mean to a franchise and what he can be. So, you know, a guy like him, you you hate to see anybody, you know, get, you know, derailed because of injuries, but if there's anybody that's gonna overcome those kinds of injuries, it's gonna be a guy like him.
0: Jay, I gotta get you on that Dosekis, I think that's how you say it that Doseki's commercial of the most interesting man in the world, because not only do you have a really impressive career, impressive journey, you're also a professional Muay Thai fighter. You're three and O in your career. And hearing that along with your other resume in basketball is just extremely impressive. Do players give you crap about it when you tell them about it? And do they not believe you?
1: I, it's a long, yeah, it's it, it been a long journey. I've, I've tried a lot of different things. Like I told you, I, you know, I'm one that, that if it scares you, I'm, I'm probably going to go towards it. You know, that's something that, that, that you know, if it scares me, I'm going to go towards it. And um, I, I used to do a lot of I've always been a fan of the UFC. I used to have way back when the UFC, like UFC one, you know, you go to like blockbuster video and go get the videos and watch it. And so I've always been a fan of the UFC. I've always been a fan of boxing. Um, and so, you know, when it came down to cross training, when I was getting ready to go play in Puerto Rico, that last stint. Um, I linked up locally with a guy, Keith Trimble, um, who who owns and operates Belmore kickboxing Academy. And he's got a host of champions, you know, boxing champions, MMA world champions. Um, and I linked up with him. Um, and I was just doing some, some pad work with him, and I loved it. absolutely loved it. He put me through some routines. We jump rope, we do all kinds of ab work. And then I'd, I'd hit mitts. And when I came back, I was like, you know what? I want to try doing this. I missed the competitiveness of things. So I joined, um, you know, extreme Muay Thai, you know, um, in, uh, where is it? Uh, not the Valley stream area, but it's, it's on like the border of Queens. And, you know, so I would go there and I, and I was like, you know, I want to try to do this. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind sparring, you know, it's kind of like, let me, let me see how it is. I didn't realize this was like a fighting gym for Muay Thai. There really wasn't any other Muay Thai gyms around at that point in time. And, and for those that don't know, Muay Thai is the the art of eight limbs so you're using your your kicks your knees your elbows and your punches um so it's a combination of everything so I was like this is gonna be a great workout so I think that my first week they put me in there with a the guy I was getting ready for a fight because he was going to fight somebody that was around my size and uh, I almost got knocked out in the first round you know like I was he hit me so hard I was I like blacked out I went to the to the corner and said hey you're gonna have to fight this guy like you know do whatever you gotta do he's, he's trying to keep your hands up whatever So I was like, all right, I either got to ask for my money back or, um, you know, I got to figure out how to defend myself properly. So that's what I ended up doing. Um, You know, I started learning over the next three months, like, all right, I got to learn how to defend a kick, you know, that's coming my way or, you know, how to, you know, how to evade punches or whatever. So, you know, because I was an athlete, you know, I I started picking up pretty quickly and then I started sparring and it was more controlled and I knew how how to handle myself a little bit better. And then eventually got to the point where I was like, you know what, I've been sparring so much. Let me go ahead and test myself against somebody else. You know, I, I'm one on not having false success and, um, you know, hitting a heavy bag really hard, you know, doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, I want to make sure like, all right, if I'm really put in a bad situation, could I defend myself? And so it was really just to test myself. I, I really don't, I, I personally don't like to fight, you know, as I've never, never fought, you know, it's not something that I want. So when I said I was going to do that, people looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what are you talking about? You're going to fight, you know? So I, I had my first fight in the Bronx and you know, went out there, you know, won, won by TKO. Uh, the next one was also in the Bronx the following year. I dropped 40 pounds for the fight. Um, you know, it was like an insane work ethic, workload, you know. And, uh, you know, I ended up winning that one by TKO. And then I, I fought at uh, World Resorts Casino, um, you know, and uh, big show, no, no gear, no headgear, no shin guards. And, uh, you know, ended up winning that by unanimous decision. And I thought I was going to end up fighting at MSG theater, you know, for my next fight. It was going to be a big, big fight. Um, it got canceled. The show got canceled. So we were going to do a, um, a documentary with my guy, Thanasis Petrakis, who, uh, owns and operates Fresh Focus Sports. Um, and it got canceled. So it became more about the fighter mentality and pre-draft and how we would take them at times to go train in Muay Thai. And I was like Jordan Clarkson and, you know, um, Tyler Annis and, you know, Ken Birch and company. It was a bunch of those guys, Noah Vonley. So it ended up becoming a pretty cool documentary, but, you know, uh, my, my career ended when, when I got to the NBA. I said, all right, that's, uh, <laughs> that's enough of that. Um, but i tell you the lessons I learned from that, again, I'm using them today in regards to the fighter mentality. I think the guys laugh, you know, some guys don't believe it, you know, and then I have to show them some footage or show them, you know, a picture of me doing it. Um, and they love to hear the stories because it's, um, there's, there's nothing more truthful than a fight. You know, like if you, you go in there and you're not completely locked in for the whole time that you're in there, you're going to get knocked out, you know? So there's not one point in time where you can say, uh, I'm going to take a second off here. You know, it's like, you have to be engaged the whole time. And that's what I loved about it. It's like, and that's what I try to translate to our players. It's like, Hey, every minute matters, like be engaged in the moment, whatever's happening now, you know or anything else that's happening in your life if you're on the court there's nothing you can do about that stuff now You you have to focus on what you can focus on now and be in the present moment so you know i think that's what fighting really did for me was really be locked into the present moment incredible right now you're getting a
0: taste of being a head coach in the nba level in the d league your stock is definitely rising five years from now where do you want to see yourself
1: Listen, I, I love what I'm doing with the Hornets, you know, and, and again, they, they're, they're allowing me to grow, you know, as a coach. And that, that's all I can ask for. So uh, hopefully I can continue to help the Hornets um, become a contender. You know, that's really, really the ultimate goal, you know, is just to see the success of the team. That's what I've always been about. Uh, obviously, I want to be a head coach at some point in time. You know, I don't know if there's a, a time limit on that. There's some guys that have been phenomenal coaches for a long time that haven't gotten that shot. Um, but, you know, I'm definitely doing these things right now, one to be able to help the Hornets develop, you know, the young talent in a different way, you know, cause I've been doing it within the Hornets, but now this is just a different way to develop talent as well as developing myself. And, uh, I would love to be a head coach, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. You know, so that by, by getting these head coaching reps and showing people, you know, how I I've been able to manage the team, you know, how I've been able to do things from, you know, kind of start to finish, uh, how I handle, you know collaborating and, and, and talking with management and, and, and the coaches, you know, um, you know, dealing with rehab treatments and strength and conditioning, you know, it's, it's, everything is, is really on me right now, which, which is great. You know, and that's kind of how I want it. And that's what our head coach has to deal with. There's so many different things. So I don't want to just be somebody, you know, who's got some great micro skills, you know, and um, you know, is really good in those areas. I want to continue to build so that I can look at stuff more on a macro level, the way that a head coach would, and eventually be able to run, you know, run the whole ship. You know, that's really what it comes down to. So hopefully, um, like I said, for me, it's more about team success. And then, you know, whatever comes from that team success, I know there's going to be individual stuff that comes from that.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was episode 27 of Inside Buzz. I'm your host, Mikey Domegala. That was Jay Hernandez, head coach of the Greensboro Swarm and assistant coach of the Charlotte Hornets. If you want to keep up with Jay on Instagram and social media, follow him at Coach Jay Hernandez. Jay, thanks for giving me the time and good luck with everything in the bubble.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Hopefully, uh, you know, you'll be doing ESPN in five years and I'll be a head coach somewhere and we'll, uh, you know, we'll be able to reconnect and talk about this time.